0: And now living through 2020 as a trustee, uh, even though the challenges are there, when I look back, I say, you know, we, we made it through 68, and I'm very confident we'll make it through 2020. Uh, and our future, I think, is great.
1: This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. Welcome to the first episode of the fourth season of In the Know. We have a lot of great material that we're really excited to share with you all. For the first episode, ACCT Director of Strategic Communications David Connor interviews current ACCT Board Chair Dave Mathis about his extensive community college history and vision for ACCT during his current term and beyond. Dave has been attending ACCT events since the early 80s and has a lot of wonderful perspective and insight to share. I think you all will really enjoy this one. This is part one of a two-part episode. This interview was recorded via Zoom, so please excuse any dips or breaks in audio quality.
2: We are here with David Mathis, and um, first I wanna thank you for taking a little bit of time to speak with us. I know you're busy with a lot of different responsibilities. For the sake of everybody listening, um, you have a pretty extensive background with both community college governance and with ACCT. So, could you tell us a little bit about your background, um, specifically, when did you begin serving as a trustee, how did you get involved with your college, and then how did you get involved with ACCT?
0: Okay, well, thank you, Dave. Uh, This is a unique opportunity for me to uh, talk a little bit about myself, and I'm always willing to do that. Uh, I got involved as a trustee in 1977 but my involvement with Mohawk Valley Community College started in 1966. After graduating from high school, uh, I went to work in a a factory and uh, they had a tuition assistance program, which meant that if you took a course, you got a C or better, they would reimburse you. Back in those days, uh, a course was $21. So it was $7 a credit hour. So I figured I could invest $21 I got to see and I took additional courses over a two year period. And then I decided in 1968 that I would matriculate full time and uh, went to Mohawk Valley. I was a first generation um, uh, college student and I uh, graduated in 1970, transferred to uh, Utica College of Syracuse University and graduated from there in 1972 I went on to work in a manpower training program uh, as a counselor, and in 1977, I was called by the then County Executive Bill Bryant, and uh, he offered me an appointment on the Mohawk Valley Community College Board, uh, and I have uh, been on ever since.
2: And um, we're, we're going to get into some of the changes that have taken place over that time, but how did you um, end up getting involved with ACCT, and around
0: what time was that? Well, I uh, went back and looked, and I attended my first ACCT uh, conference uh, in New Orleans. And I think it was either 1982 or 90, uh, 1982 or, or 83, and um, I attended uh, the NLS a couple of times in the 80s. And uh, then I got involved as a school board member here in Utica, and I did a five-year term, so I didn't do a lot with ACCT. But in 1989, I think it was November, December, I got a call, and I had been um, recommended uh, to fill out an unexpired term of a trustee from New York who was leaving the ACCT board. And I attended my first... uh, ACCT board meeting in 1990 in Washington at the NLS. And I was encouraged by the trustees on the board that I should consider running uh, for that office. Uh, we had regional meetings back then. And in 1980, our regional meeting uh, was in Boston in May. So I went there, uh, I got the
2: interview by the nominating committee and felt that they would
0: either nominate me for regional director or to run at large. Sorry to say, uh, the nominating committee decided not to nominate me at all. Uh, Their uh, rationale was that I was too young and that there was some older trustees who deserved the uh, uh, nomination. Uh, I was quite upset, very angry. So I left the regional meeting that afternoon Walked around Boston, returned to um, the hotel later on that evening, and uh, was met by Alan Fulwood and some of the other trustees. Alan was our board uh, president at the time. And he said, You know, you could run from the the floor. And uh, at our uh, summer board retreat, uh, it just so happened that year, it was uh, in July, and it was in Dallas. And that was the year that we had to interview for a new uh, president of the association. And uh,
2: trustees were very encouraging. And I uh, got their support.
0: And I ran from the floor at the Baltimore uh, uh, convention. And uh, with the help of New Jersey and Pennsylvania and New York, I, I won the regional seat and uh, I think it was like 24 to 13. And I uh, served two terms as uh, regional director. Uh, I, back then, we had something called the Federal Relations uh, Commission, and I got appointed to that. And uh, I think it was in 1995, I ended up as chair of that committee. The uh, Joint Commission was in a commission that we shared around federal relations with the AACC. Uh, I went off the board in um, 1996 and uh, stayed involved. I got involved with the uh, then the diversity committee and um, ended up uh, chairing that committee. So I went back on the board for an additional three years. And uh, part of my uh, goal there was to, uh, at that time, the uh, minority committee met separate from the regular board committees. And my job then was to work to bring the uh, minority uh, committee into the fold. And we did that. And I went off the board in 2003. Uh, in 2016, I was encouraged to run again because of the fact that uh, uh, then uh, former board chair Leroy Mitchell uh, from uh, New York was uh, looking to find somebody that would be able to take his place. And obviously uh, he felt I would be a good candidate. So I ran again and won and um, had the opportunity, uh, with the encouragement of some of the board members, to run for secretary treasurer, which I did, and then for vice chair, and then chair elect. And now I'm chair. And so, here you are. <laughs> and So overall, my number of years on the uh, ACCT board and it's about 14 right now
2: okay so you've you've got a lot of time under your belt and a lot of experiences and you have kind of a big year coming up which we're going to get into Mm -hmm. Um, and I also want to talk about some kind of broader issues um, relating to community colleges and governing boards but um, I had not really planned to ask you about this but since since we got a pretty thorough history. I'm really curious what you get out of. um, This This is kind of an advertisement now for some of our members who may not be involved with our committees and with, you know, who might not have considered running for the board or who might have run for the board and not gotten onto the board. Um, What do you get out of it that keeps you involved with this organization?
0: Well, I think by uh, having been a community college student, as I said, first generation, uh, raised by a single mom, uh, basically we're at the, I would say, at the bottom of the economic sphere, and ha- having the opportunity to get a, a a degree and move on to get another degree. Uh, but without my involvement at Mohawk Valley Community College, I never would have had a career that I've had, never had an opportunity to move from being at the lowest level to in many cases, being middle class or upper middle class. So to me, community college opened the door because it was very clear to me growing up that uh, my opportunity would be to get a job working in the post office or in some factory uh, doing uh, what I would call uh, a manual work and that college was not for me. And I learned that basically from the counselors and. Uh, grade school and high school uh, that, uh, you know, if you really want to be successful, those are the fields you go into. And Mohawk Valley uh, basically showed me that, uh, yeah, you have potential. And I think for me, community colleges are the, are the open door for so many of the kinds of individuals that I work with uh, every day in my job here as uh, Director of Workforce Development for Oneida County.
2: So you, you've you been involved with um, your college for quite a while. And last year, um, meaning in 2019, we met in San Francisco for our annual ACCT Leadership Congress. It was our 50th anniversary, and we watched um, a video at the beginning that really set up the major events that have happened in the world but especially in this country over the past 50 years and when we were compiling this video we we were kind of astonished by how many kind of um you know really historic and history and nation-changing events there had been um that you just don't you, you don't keep in your mind all the time so um i'm gonna ask you what um specifically at your college And then, you know, throughout community colleges, you you told us about your perception of what opportunities were available to you and how the college played a role in that. So, you know, over your time um, being involved with community colleges, what do you think has changed as far as public perception or the role of community colleges or any of that?
0: I think overall the, the role that community colleges play since we're all over the country and you know, one of the things that I come to learn is that you know, community colleges are an American uh, invention in higher ed. You know, before uh, we started out in 1901 at Juliet uh, Junior Community College, it didn't exist. So for me, so many uh, opportunities that have occurred over the the hundred plus years, you know, have opened the door for so many individuals, especially. Uh, students of color, uh, adults of color, for veterans, for the disabled, uh, for people who maybe never would have stepped foot on a college campus. They have done that. And I think we still do that. So for me, the opportunity that community colleges have played to open that door to be access for many who could not uh, have walked through that door, I think it's clear. So over the years, Uh, We had our ups and downs uh, as a segment of higher education, uh, but we keep plugging and we keep doing the job of access and opportunity for all.
2: How has governance changed in your role as a trustee? Has that um, changed significantly at all over the time you've been involved?
0: Yeah, I think so. I would say when I first got involved, I would say the uh, role of a uh, community college board. Uh, I wouldn't I guess I would say a lot of times you got together once a month. Uh, you kind of rubber stamped the agenda. Uh, you might spend an hour at a meeting uh, and then you moved on. Most of the work was delegated to the president and the administration. So it wasn't that uh, much of a time commitment. Now. Uh, in the 21st century the, the games change you know uh trustees have a lot more uh at stake in terms of involvement with uh, higher education and uh we're involved with uh, so many uh that it's uh something that we uh that i see all the time in terms of time commitment
2: yeah when i became involved with acct um and was at 20 2008 um that's really when the student success movement was taking off mm-hmm. and when we were speaking with um with trustees about expanding the mission beyond looking primarily at enrollments and really at outcomes and what was Encumbering outcomes potentially and then some of the research that ACCT has been involved with and other organizations has has, you know, the the new drive seems to be very much getting um, Getting at the unmet needs that are, you know, keeping um, students from progressing as they need to. So it's not all poor academic performance. We've learned and been trying to communicate well. Um, to board members and, and to college leaders generally is that it's not necessarily, you know, an intellectual problem, for example. It, in many cases, it's because there are a lot of unmet needs. So um, for, here's something that I've wondered about a little bit over time. Um, for trustees who come in, especially new trustees, and they're learning how to govern uh, you know, a community college generally. But then they're also getting all this additional information about these unmet needs and about meeting, um, you know, helping students along the way in addition to learning all of this other stuff. Um, what, what would you suggest board members really focus on as they're becoming acquainted with their roles at colleges?
0: Well, you know, I think one of the advantages that I have is by... Being a community college student uh, and understanding some of the issues around what that meant in in the 60s, it gave me a lot more of an advantage than many trustees have. Because many of the trustees, when they get appointed to a a board, uh, really have not been involved with community colleges. They may have been involved with higher education or public education at the K 12 level. And they come in maybe with some background in the business community, uh, serving on not-for-profit boards or profit-making boards, and they don't have the understanding of what a community college is. And I think part of what I have seen ACCT do is to basically help that transition because so many of our board members uh, are very honored to be on a community college board, but know very little about community college. And about the kinds of students that we serve, and about our open door and open access mission. And the difference between us and four year and university uh, boards are so clear because we represent the community. We're hands on. We live in the community. You know, we see the outcomes of our students. We deal with the community leaders and the political leaders and the not for profit. Uh, leaders, So we are there and we're hands on. And I think for, you know, new board members coming in, it, there's a lot to take in. I say on average, it takes anywhere from a year and a half to two years for a community college trustee to understand their role.
2: Yeah, I, I don't serve on a board, but I work <laughs> with <laughs> all of you. And it, I think it took me a little bit longer than that to really grasp some <laughs> of the nuances, because some, um, you know, some of the guidance seems pretty simple on its face. But then when you see it play out, <laughs> it can get pretty complicated.
0: Very complicated.
2: Um, so you, t- you talked a little bit about um, getting involved years ago with the Minority Affairs Committee of this organization. This year, um, we are speaking in December of 2020. So we're rounding out a a pretty historic year, I would say. Um, And among the events that have transpired this year are um, everything that followed George Floyd. I'm, everybody knows this, but at this point I'm saying this for historic record. Um, So um, ACCT, you as, as, you know, the upcoming um, leader of our board uh, was involved in developing several statements, but then going beyond statements into making commitments about um, equity. And then we had the pandemic. And then we also have a major internal change happening with um, you guys looking for our new CEO who will come in at the end of the coming year. So um, my first question is very broad. Does any year <laughs> that you've ever served as a trustee compare in your mind to this past year in terms of the scope and scale of major events that have changed this landscape?
0: I would say without a doubt, no. I mean, I see there, in terms of being a trustee, this is unique uh, in terms of all the issues going on with uh, social and racial injustice, uh, with the pandemic, Uh, with the transition going on in Washington, new administration coming in, and so forth. But when I did look back, I said, you know, what year, if I had to pick a year, would compare? And to me, that would be 1968, the year that I uh, matriculated full-time in Mohawk Valley, because that was the year that Dr. King was assassinated, that Robert Kennedy was assassinated, Uh, We have, uh, uh, what do you call it, the riots at the Democratic Convention in Chicago. We had student takeovers of um, uh, college uh, president's offices and buildings. So 68 to me, uh, without a doubt, would would be the year that if I had been a trustee, I would say would be uh, number two to what we're dealing with now. So I think in, in some cases, Having lived through 68, uh, not as a trustee, but as a student, and now living through 2020 as a trustee, uh, even though the challenges are there, when I look back, I say, you know, we, we made it through 68. And I'm very confident we'll make it through 2020. Uh, and our future, I think, is great.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't see any reason to um, to suggest otherwise. However, there's just so much to take on. So I wonder, how do you, um, how would you begin to prioritize um, what you know? A national organization like this should take on in the coming year, and what role do you think that that we can all together play?
0: Well, I've said uh, very clearly that. You know, one of my goals and objectives in uh, the year that I'm chair is to put very strong emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Working with uh, Yvonne Barnes, who's the chair of our uh, DEI committee, and the uh, fact that um, uh, we wanna be more aggressive in in bringing those issues to the full board. You know, we had a very strong statement as you said earlier about what's going on, you know, in terms of uh, George Floyd and Brianca Taylor and others in terms of social unrest and and, uh, racial disparities in our communities. And I think uh, because of that, and with uh, the fact that uh, we've had the opportunity in the last uh, few weeks uh, to take a look at, at least I have taken a look at our board We've lost uh, three board members, uh, sorry to say, through uh, elections in Texas and California, Uh, but we used that opportunity to bring on uh, some additional uh, board members. Uh, I'm very pleased to say that we increased, uh, all the ones that came on the board uh, were females, and um, three of them were uh, uh, people of color. So when I looked at our demographics, Uh, As of now, we have 27 board members, but we have 14 uh, males and 13 females. Uh, And our breakout for uh, white and colored uh, and board members of color, basically is 14, 13. So we probably have the most diverse uh, higher education board in the country in terms of looking at that. So to me, not only do you have to talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. And I think ACCT has put itself out there. I think our new equity uh, guide to boards are going to be very important. I know Yvonne wants to to do a podcast and some webinars to really try to get our boards to understand uh, why uh, diversity, equity and inclusion is so important uh, at the community college level and how we need to lead by example. Uh, one of the, uh, areas that I'm really concerned about because as I said earlier, I came on my board in 1977 and I was the only person of color on my board for 31 years. And uh, finally, uh, a Latino ex- individual was appointed to the board 12 years ago and it does make a big difference. When you look at the opportunity to, to diversify and integrate a board. And one of the areas that uh, I would hope our discussion with boards around the country is that uh, we need to be trying to educate those who appoint trustees and those who elect trustees. uh, Because right now, uh, our demographics on our boards really haven't changed a lot. I went back and looked at the uh, demographics in 1977. And I looked at it now. 7% 7% of all community college trustees are white, uh, and about 55% of those are white males, and about 38% are white females. So our boards have not represented the diversity uh, of the and the equity of the, the individuals that we serve. You know, community colleges are the door and the opportunity for uh, minorities, people of color, Uh, for veterans, for formerly incarcerated individuals, you name it, for people who are at the bottom, the door opens uh, when they walk through the community, when they knock and that door at community colleges will open for them. So to me, this discussion around uh, diversity and equity and inclusion, it's real. And I'm a good example of somebody who benefited Because somebody years ago stood up and said, Hey, you know, we got to keep these doors open and we have to make sure that we're serving uh, the underserved and those individuals in our community who need an opportunity.
2: Yeah, you mentioned um, Leroy Mitchell, who's a former board chair who is also from New York, from Westchester County. And I recall uh, while he was on the board, he often would. Um, actually talk about faculty, which is um, a little, you know, in some ways, tangential to uh, board Board's work, mm-hmm. but not really, because it's about the college. And he would talk about the need to see, for students to physically see themselves reflected in the person and leadership in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and I think that that message, of course translate direct translates to boards as well yeah. um, so I guess what am I asking about that i guess, I guess i 'm asking well actually, let me say one more thing we interviewed we did a podcast on diversity, equity, and inclusion several um, of us went to Montgomery uh, College in, in Maryland, and mm-hmm. Dr. Darian Pollard, uh, the president there, who also serves on the board, she broke it down in a way that was so practical and pragmatic that it was really enlightening. So I'd love people to look for that podcast on our website and mm-hmm. listen to it, because I, I think it could be very useful to people who don't already really focus on this. but. She talked about um, how I I asked her, What would you tell somebody from a college, you know, somewhere in the Midwest, let's just say um, Iowa, for example, um, who is on a board there and says that our student population is primarily white. And so, diversity, you know, what does that even look like to us? And she said, Oh, it's interesting you picked Iowa because I went to university in Iowa and from the south side of chicago and it was (laughs) a culture shock but she said the culture shock really was mostly that it was so rural that was the difference that she didn't anticipate and so let's think about diversity in different ways as well um, so with all of that in mind, which is a big mishmash of things, um, I'm, I'm really curious from your leadership position at ACCT and thinking about board diversity or lack of board diversity, both at national or at uh, local colleges and then at state associations, um, you know, among state associations and then here at ACCT, what, what do you think is the effect of a less diverse board versus a more diverse board and seeing, seeing those people, just like students in a classroom. Looking at the ACCT board just as one example and seeing diversity versus not.
0: Well, I think, and I do want to mention uh, before I forget what uh, Dr. Eroyd uh, Mitchell said about the faculty and seeing people who are more diverse in the classroom. You know, I went from kindergarten all the way through my uh, to get my bachelor's degree and never had a a uh, person of color as a, a teacher or professor, a counselor, a nurse. Uh, I think the only, uh, I think maybe once there was a janitor, but that, that was clear. But I think, you know, that's so important. Now, to answer your question, you know, I think when you look at some of the outcomes uh, in terms of rhetoric, you know, and trying to come to grips with, you know, why is there so much division? And I think part of that is that, you know, when you don't have the opportunity to sit down with different types of people and to have a conversation, then you develop a whole bunch of uh, maybe uh, inaccurate uh, uh, descriptions of who you think they are based on their gender, their sex, their sexual orientation. their disability. I mean, it's very clear that we develop a lot of these because we don't communicate. One of the the things that, you know, I enjoy about ACCT and my association with my state association, you know, I spent 35 years on my state association board. And I think the thing that's very clear is that when you have communication with, with, with individuals from different parts of, of the state or the country, uh, it opens doors. You know, I'm in upstate New York. And, you know, I know when people think about New York, they think about New York City. Well, when you live in upstate New York, like I do, most of the counties are very conservative, uh, majority white, and many of the school systems around, I'm, I live in the city of Utica, which is about 65,000 individuals but most of the school districts around Utica are, are, are white, uh, predominantly white. Utica has a very large uh, population of, of students of color. Uh, and part of what starts to happen is, and it's been happening you know, in education for as long as, you know I've been alive, is that uh, perception of what goes on in a, in a urban inner city school district Is a lot different than what goes on in a suburban or rural district. And I think a lot of that is that we just don't have opportunities to communicate. Probably the only time you communicate is probably on an athletic field where you're competing. But as terms of of boards and the opportunity uh, to educate each other, which is what I really have learned uh, from my involvement uh, with ACCT or at my local level or even at the state level, is that. Uh, You have to be in a room with individuals. One of the sad new world of Zoom meetings is that uh, we don't have personal contact. I'm I'm a person who uh, learned the job conferences and conventions and listening and dialoguing. I can't do that now. And I really miss it. But I think what community college trustees uh, learn very clearly uh, is that we learn how to, you know, in some cases disagree, but most of the cases we agree. And even though you may come from a a rural, uh, predominantly white uh, college, uh, and you will have your own issues, but when you start talking uh, to somebody from a predominantly urban district, you come to find out that a lot of the issues are the same, you know, declining enrollment, uh, declining revenue, uh, trying to keep a faculty in place, trying to hire a a president to be a good leader, uh, working the advocacy role with your local legislators. So a lot of uh, what's going on is the same, you know, and that's so clear, but you don't get there unless you're talking to each other. And that becomes a big issue.
2: Yeah, you know, what, what you were talking about, actually, it took me back for a second to, um, and I'm just going to say this because it just it's really something that stuck with me. When we were talking to Dr. Pollard um, and, and we asked her that question, she said something that alluded to this idea that inclusion is really making sure that nobody, not a single person, and especially at community colleges of all places, not a single person ever feels alienated on your campus or in your group. So if you are, for example, an all white heterosexual male board, right? um, You know, you, you will have a student of every variation coming to campus and they should always, you know, one reason to have these conversations that you're talking about. Nationally, with people from all different walks of life, is to make sure that your culture feels welcoming to every person and demographic shift. You know, we've done several conversations at conferences, in podcasts through all kinds of different venues about changing demographics in the country. There's no getting away from it. Um, You know, every every community in this country is going to shift demographically over time, rapidly. And so, you know, it's it's also just a practical um, step of planning for when things change and making sure that you're better acquainted with um, adapting to different cultures and cultural norms.
0: Yeah, I think that's very clear. And I and I would say the, you know, community colleges, you know, because of the population we serve, you know, uh campuses can be, you know, uh kind of challenging. You know, if you're uh, uh recently released uh uh former incarcerated individual, uh, you know, there's always concern is this person uh gonna rob me or is this person going to attack somebody? Uh if you have uh individuals who you know, have a, maybe a developmental disability, you know, do they really fit in? Is that going to bring down the quality of education? If you have too many uh, students of color, that, that does that lower our standing? I mean, so, you know, where, where community colleges have been is that we have learned, and we're still struggling, don't get me wrong, uh, that we need to be able to bring everybody into the room. And we have brought everybody into the room. You know, the, 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 the issue gets to be, though, that, you know, we have to then take that open door inclusion and through the uh, equity and diversity, uh, make sure that we elevate everybody. And I think that's the, the struggle we have around, you know, around diversity. And in many ways, we have the same types of issues uh, in our society, you know, that uh, we're, we're going to be combating. And we're, we have combated. And I, I'm one that believes that you know, community colleges are, are the answer uh, to a lot of our challenges. That's not to say that every single trustee and every single college or every single president out there is gonna feel that way, but a majority of us do. You know, There are 6,500 trustees in this country. And I think many of them are definitely committed uh, to open access and equal opportunity and the, the big picture of, of diversity. Now, sometimes they may need help in getting there, and that's one of the roles that I see ACCT playing and has played in terms of the services we have around, you know, war retreats and presidential searches and assisting colleges where all the information that they need and the opportunity uh, to deal with some very difficult issues.
1: This has been part one of a two part conversation with Dave. Make sure you subscribe so you're notified when we release part two next week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.